0: Hi, welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. I'm Colleen Pilar and my guest today is Jacqueline Rudebeck, and she has a really interesting background. Jacqueline's a lawyer who was for five years the Director of Operations at Green Hill Humane Society in Eugene, Oregon, and now she works at a brewery. So tell us a little bit about that, Jacqueline. Sure. Um, Well, thank you
1: for having me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, So yes, that's correct. I am a lawyer. I went to law school here in Oregon and then was fortunate to get um, a job in private practice here. And my practice focused on employment law and contract type law. And when I was in practice, I joined the board of directors of Green Hill Humane Society, and I got more and more involved in the work that the shelter was doing. I had a little bit of a background in shelter and rescue work. I was a foster back when I lived in Wisconsin, which is where I grew up. And so I um, started volunteering with Green Hill, and the organization was going through a period of a lot of change Um entering into contracts with our local municipalities to start operating the shelter that had previously been run by the county for about 30 years. Mm -hmm. So the county decided that they, for a variety of reasons, largely budgetary, couldn't continue to operate the shelter. So they started looking for a nonprofit partner. At the same time that those conversations were happening, the previous kind of assistant director, operations director, was recruited away to a different position, which left a pretty major hole at a very crucial, Crucial time for the organization, mm-hmm. and so I had been looking to make a change professionally as well. I loved my work with Greenhill, and so I talked with the executive director and the board about whether it made sense for Greenhill for me to step into that role. So that's how I got there. Cool. Um, and yeah, and so then I was in that position for. Um, almost six years actually, and just recently just a couple of months ago stepped away for another opportunity that was presented to me that I kind of couldn't say no to. It just felt like the right time um and I was also really excited for Greenhill to maybe get some new energy and different perspective into the role that I had been in. So that's the kind of the
0: short version of that story. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. They they always say you can only figure out your path looking backwards. Like how do the dots connect? Because when you look at it, like that seems odd. And yet not, not odd at all. The pieces all fit together and it all moves toward an interesting and, and productive life.
1: Well, it was a lot of
0: just kind of being
1: open to opportunities when they arose.
0: And that's, that's a hard part, isn't it, being open to opportunities? Because sometimes we'd go, oh, scary change. Change is hard. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I were going to talk today about the power of choice, which I think is a really important piece for both animals and humans. So could you just start from the shelter perspective? Obviously, animals in a shelter have a lot of their environment and their situation is not under their control. So what are some of the things that you can do in a shelter to help an animal feel a greater sense of choice and control? That is a great question.
1: Um, Something that our shelter has focused a lot on is providing different types of enrichment for the animals in our care so that their lives are um, stimulating mentally, and we're not just focused on physical exercise, but we want to give their brains something to do. So, we think about choice with respect to like in their housing areas do they have a choice about where they are, where they're sleeping, where they're spending their time, how visible they are to mm-hmm. people and other animals? So, you know, if it's a dog that's showing us some nervous behaviors, um, some signs of anxiety you know, even placing a crate in a kennel, placing a a visual barrier in there so that the dog has a choice about where it is, um, and how exposed it feels. That's one example. Um, we do a lot of, um, behavior work with dogs where we'll do shaping behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as compared to things like luring, where you're using a toy or a food or, you know, something that the dog wants, and it's just kind of not so mindfully following that thing. If we're working on shaping behaviors, the dog is thinking really hard and making choices about what, might be rewarded what right. we might be looking for, so I think that's a really cool way to stimulate their their brains. Uh, applying it to cats because our shelter also serves a lot of cats. Um, same thing with the housing spaces, you know, portalizing cages and creating different places for the cats to be so that they can be comfortable. Providing a lot of height options so that again they can decide how accessible they are mm-hmm. to visitors. And a lot of different types of toys, maybe different foods, different things that they may or may not be interested in,
0: and then really trying to pay attention to those things. And having this sense of control of the environment a little bit, how how visible do Mm -hmm. I want to be, how close do I want to be, all of those things actually increases the odds of some animals taking a step out of their comfort zone because they know they have the option to back off of that. Whereas when we force a situation – they go, oh, no, can't, and just kind of shut down. But when we say, look, there's Mm -hmm. this totally safe cat tree, and you could be way up there, or Mm -hmm. you could be here near me, then they have the option to say, I'm not sure I want to be near you, but let me try it out, knowing I can get away, knowing I Mm -hmm. can make another choice. So that whole sense of confidence and mastery and control, a lot of it has to do with how much we feel like we have a sense of choice in a situation. And in yeah. work environments, often we feel like we don't have much sense of choice. Like mm-hmm. we, there are all the things we have to do and we're stuck. Yeah. Did Did any of that ever come into play with volunteers or, or employees at the shelter?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I oversaw all of the different operational departments, but I also played kind of a huge role that was more along the lines of human resources. So um hiring and performance management and you know coaching with all of the employees and also working a lot with the volunteers. Um, And something that I started to recognize the longer I was in my position was um how I think sometimes all of us are guilty of this. We lose sight of the fact that we're choosing to be there every Mm -hmm. day. We all have options. Yes. And Um, And yes, everyone, I would say universally, everyone who works in animal welfare is doing so because they have a heart for it. They're so connected at a really deep level, a values level to this cause, which can make it feel less like it is a choice, Mm -hmm. but I think there are also such a wide variety of ways that people can be involved and be supportive of the work that shelters and rescues and behavior professionals and veterinary professionals do. Um, There are so many different options and I've watched people and sometimes helped coach people through, is this the right place for me to be right now? Is Mm -hmm. this the right role for me to be playing? Sometimes that's... um, led to movement within our organization. Sometimes it led to moving on to a position outside of the organization, still involved in animal welfare at some level. Sometimes it was, you know, what I need for me, I need to take a little bit more of a break from this right now. I need to do something else for my paid job, but I'm still going to be involved in another way. I think it's a really powerful thing to have people around you that will help you remember that on those really hard days, or if you go through a stretch, when you feel like you're not able to bring your best energy and your best self for whatever reason to the work that's so important to you? Why is that? And is there something else you can do?
0: Yeah. And I think that's a very hard realization for a lot of us. And it ties back to something that you just touched on, which was sometimes because there is such a strong emotional component, people lose the idea of that it is a choice. They now feel like the work has to be done and I have to do it.
1: Yeah. And
0: yes and no, there, there are ways to achieve our goals without making every human involved, completely stressed out and at the end of their rope. But it can feel very difficult sometimes to, to st- take a step back and say, it is not the best thing for the animals for me to be, burning the candle at both ends and feeling this way.
1: Well, and the most dangerous examples I've seen of that are cases that cross over into animal hoarding and, Mm -hmm. you know, people who really believe no one else will do this but me, I have to be the person. And it's such a horrible disease to see Yes, um, because nobody wins in those situations. The people are you know, just so emotionally invested and really at some level believe that they're doing something good and the animals aren't receiving the benefit of, you know, what I really believe deep down is good intent. It's the ability to recognize limits is lost.
0: Right. And for many of the people in a hoarding situation, it's a case of someone who felt in other periods of their life that someone didn't advocate for them or stand up for them and so when there is an animal in need they have to be that voice for the animal and they don't see that there are other people willing to step up and support these animals and be a voice for them too and it's a real difficult painful thing because it's coming from the best of intents and the result is not what we're hoping to get it's yeah very hard (laughs) um so that one of the things um that we saw
1: sometimes with our staff members and volunteers that isn't quite as severe as something that would cross over into hoarding levels, but still important to pay attention to is when I started to hear things from people like, Oh, I can't go on vacation. Right. You know, no one, no one will do it but me, nobody will do it, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I remember having some conversations with various people through the years Like, what are you worried is going to happen? Let's Mm -hmm. really think this through. You know, why do you feel like you can't take time off? And because it's so important to take some time away and recharge your batteries and refill Mm -hmm. your cup a little bit. Um, And I remember sometimes feeling that way myself. And so I think, again, it's important for all of us to hold each other accountable for self-care and, you know, remember that we have that choice as well. Mm -hmm. Many of us are kind of hardwired to put others first yes and um, and that if we're not recognizing that we're doing that too much then suddenly it can be too late and then we have nothing left to pour out
0: Mm -hmm. and that's a real hard piece that choosing to look into self-care choosing to make the healthy choices that are good for you long term really are better for the group as a whole and yet the feeling is so often that that is selfish and it's yes. a bad idea that I can't do mm-hmm. that. Taking a mm-hmm. vacation, that would be the worst thing that could happen. What would everyone do if I was not here? Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. And what would it be like if you came back happy and rested? Imagine that. <laughs> How the benefits could play in here. So when you would be talking to people, what were some of the challenges in helping them realize that they had choices in these situations? What was hard about that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, I think it was something that
1: you just touched on. It can feel very decadent, I think, to people who are givers by their nature. To look inward and really ask yourself, what do I need, is so not instinctive for, for many people that are wired that way. So, sometimes it was almost like watching someone's mind try to recalibrate like what I can do that. Um, and, you know, I really I'm speaking about myself, too, because it's something that I've worked really hard to learn in my life um, and that I try to mindfully practice all the time because it's not instinctive for me to behave that way. So I can relate to it as well. I remember we had some volunteers that were so amazingly wonderful and dedicated. Greenhill is really lucky to have a very robust volunteer program. Um on the average month, we have over 400 individuals coming out wow. and volunteering in shelters and giving tons and tons and tons of hours, and and yet we still sometimes would have like one or two individuals that were there every single day and sometimes for many 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 hours. While that's amazing and great, there were a few occasions that I can point to where I started to recognize in that person like. I think they're not feeling the support of this enormous team that we have. Mm -hmm. And they're not seeing that they're part of something that's really big and it doesn't have to all rest on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, this was pretty rare, but occasionally we did have conversations about maybe let's cut back a little bit because sometimes that intensity, it just, Mm -hmm. it starts to feel not healthy for the person and A big part of Green Hills' mission is to be compassionate, not just towards animals, but towards their people. Yes. I think many times in animal welfare, people are really great at being compassionate towards animals and not so great at being compassionate towards human animals. Mm -hmm. And so um, we would try to show that compassion and recognize and just support people through like, let's talk about why this is so hard for you to step away a little bit and take care of yourself.
0: Which I think is really awesome. I think it's difficult to have those conversations because we worry about upsetting someone and they're a person we value and they're working hard and we don't want to make them feel bad. And Mm -hmm. yet we can see that they are having some adverse effects. And one of the big challenges with any work with animals is that we're not going to completely resolve it in our lifetimes. So it doesn't really matter If I work and work and work and work and work and work and work, I'm never, ever, ever going to be done. I'm never going to be able to say, Yay! And now all problems related to animals in the world are done. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) So it's real tough to take a vacation because you know that there's an animal in need on Mm -hmm. that day that you're not there. Um, Right. So helping people to really see that there are other people doing Mm -hmm. the work too and that the problem will be resolved, but Mm -hmm. not today. Um yeah that we need we need everyone to stay happy, healthy and thriving so that they can continue working because if people burn out and leave that's a big loss for the animals and for all of the mm-hmm. people who work with them too. The team members are gone, the relationships. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had a number of people um in my time at Greenhill that we um, were in a position, left to take another job elsewhere, and then later came back, which mm-hmm. I think is a really cool thing to see. Um, I started calling them the
0: Boomerang Club. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just people that. It's cool that there were enough that they could be a club, you know, not <laughs> yeah. just a person or two, but we mm-hmm. have several. Mm-hmm. We've got the Boomerang yeah.
1: Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was really special. And um, I think it's really important to to maintain perspective. I think all of us, the longer we're working in the animal field, you get so deep into it that I don't know if you've had this experience. But I remember there were times when I would get together with friends that didn't work in animal welfare at all. And sometimes I felt like I had nothing else to talk about other than my work at the shelter. <laughs> it was like, I don't even know how to have a conversation anymore about anything else. Mm-hmm. What does what is that telling me about my life? Um, <laughs> So I like that um, that we had people on our team that left and worked in totally different areas and then came back um, and brought that perspective back to the rest of the
0: team. Mm-hmm. Of all of the great things about Green Hill, but also just, again, about choice. Like we can yeah. leave and we can mm-hmm. try things and we can learn new things that have value. Mm-hmm. Come back or go in a different direction. Yeah. We're yeah. always looking at kinds of things make a difference in our lives. And I think the sense of choice and autonomy really is comforting to us. None of us likes to feel like I have to, I must, I should, it's got to be me. Um, That's extremely draining. It does not help us bring our best efforts to our work or our relationships. And yet, if we just try reframing some of those things and say, well, I get to, or I could, or I might, Mm -hmm. then we have the sense of choice. And you go, well, that doesn't really work because, you know, someone has to clean out the kettle. So I yeah. have to clean out the kettle. Okay. But you mm-hmm. get to clean out the kettle. If you get to clean out the kettle, what does that mean for you? If you, if you can say to yourself, this is what I'm choosing. Today, yeah. I get to clean out kennels and make them cleaner and happier and safer for the animals who are here. Oh. Exactly. That feels better. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I think – Just being mindful of where we're spending our mental energy. Is it really serving you well to be hung up on the fact that you have to do what people would maybe consider the less fun parts, the Mm -hmm. scrubbing and the grunt work and that kind of thing? It's like, well, it's all part of it. Um, And is it really helping anything to be fixated on what you don't like Mm -hmm. rather than celebrating the great parts about this stuff? And that was another thing that... um, that I really tried to emphasize a lot over the years is celebrating the successes and really holding on to the best parts about working with animals because it's all connected. It all goes together and you kind of can't have all the great stuff without the stuff that's hard. Yeah. Um, But We as people, we're so apt to focus on things that are negative. I mean, we just have that negativity bias. We have to work really hard to remember the good parts and the positive things and also to give ourselves permission to celebrate them Mm -hmm. because that sometimes can be really hard when something sad has happened Um, or you've got an animal in your care that isn't thriving and that you're not sure you're going to be able to bring to a good outcome Making emotional space for what goes along with that is really important. But at the same time, you have to be able to remember all of the other animals that did get treated and that you were able to save and that are now in loving, happy homes and that kind of stuff. And like not losing sight of all of the good benefits of the work just because there are some really hard cases in there, too.
0: Right. I think that's vital. And I heard something this week. That was exactly what you just said. It was said to me in a way that was different than I'd heard before. So I want to make sure I try to say it right. And the basic idea is when things are bad and someone points out something good, we're like, yeah, whatever. Um, and when things are good and someone points out something bad, it can lower our enjoyment. So one yes. of the the ideas is if some, if there's a bad situation, we've had to euthanize an animal things are terrible – and someone says it's a gorgeous day outside. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change the bad. But let's flip that and say when things are really good and we acknowledge that there's also bad stuff, it doesn't change the good. The good is still really good and we shouldn't devalue what is good just because there is something bad. So it is a beautiful day, and I'm lucky to be alive, and I've helped lots of animals in the past, and these ones are happy. And this bad piece is bad. Nobody's disputing it. But the badness of this does not in any way change how amazing the good really is. So when you said you made a point of sort of celebrating successes and the best parts, what were some of the ways that you – institutionalized that, made sure that it actually happened?
1: Um, that's a great question. We would do things like, and not a, this didn't all come from me. I don't want to take responsibility or, you know, own that, you know, all the celebrating successes was driven by me. But <laughs> some of the things that our staff would do is, you know, if we had a long-term animal that finally got adopted, mm-hmm. um, they would make little posters and put them up in, you know, some of the break areas or work areas so that there would be the memory of that success Mm -hmm. going forward and that people, if they had that really deep connection to that animal, they could still see its face and remember that win even after the animal has left the shelter. Sometimes that inspiration carries forward to, you know, the next hard case that you're really trying to seek a special home for. And you can see, you know, oh, there's this dog on the wall. And this was really similar to that. And we found a home for that one. So, like, let's keep trying on this one. Also just really instilling a sense of fun. It's Mm -hmm. really important to me for people to have fun at work. So sometimes we would do silly things like theme days where everyone would like dress up as a superhero or something. We'd have, you know, 80s day or whatever for our staff. (laughs) And it's amazing how stuff like that just lifts the mood more than almost anything you could do. Food (laughs) always helps people sometimes, you know, when there was a really bad day or just out of the blue, you know, showing up with ice cream. We did a smoothie day one day where we bought a whole bunch of frozen fruit and brought it in. Um, not necessarily connected to any specific thing, but just because it's good to be happy at work. It is um, even things like reporting out numbers, you know, numbers of volunteer hours, numbers of animals that went home this month, and trying to keep visibility on that for the staff and volunteers, so that they could see the magnitude of the contribution that they were making. Yeah. Um. So things like that, I think making changes to processes, if those changes have a really beneficial effect, like let's celebrate that. We came up with a new idea and we were willing to try it Mm -hmm. and, you know, and embrace that change and it's better, you know, and let's focus on how much better it is than the way that we used to do it. Um, Those are just some examples I can think of off the top of my head. It was always a little bit of a challenge for us sometimes to get our fairly introverted staff all together for like a party or something like that. But we try to do things like that too. Um, oh, another thing that we had, um, is what we called our Wagmore awards. So staff could nominate each other for an award. They were just little silly things, a laminated piece of paper that would describe some rock star thing that somebody did. Um, like, One of our staff um, was given the Serial Neuterer Award because she was so great at convincing (laughs) owners of stray animals that were picking up their animals, so reclaims, Mm -hmm. excuse me, if their animals were intact, she was great at convincing them to allow us to neuter the animals. So her peers recognized that and, you know, gave her that. I, at one point, was given the Mother Hen Award for always being available for, you know, and supporting (laughs) all my staff. And it's amazing how motivating that kind of thing is. Mm -hmm. And just, it's really, it's words on a piece of paper, but there's so much sentiment behind it and, you know, that people are recognizing the positive contributions that their teammates make. So that kind of stuff, I think, goes a really long way too.
0: Because people just want to be heard and acknowledged and seen, you know, and so (laughs) it's little things that, you know, the Mother Hen Award, not everyone can get that. Because it's your contribution. In the Serial Neuter Award, clearly she had some gifts <laughs> in being able to uh, talk people into something. And that has a huge value. And we yeah. can all learn from her skills mm-hmm. and have fun by celebrating the win. And I think that sense of silliness and joy. It's pervasive, you know, that the positive emotions just open us up. Like when you said, like, it was amazing how much effect like a theme day would have on people's behavior. Yeah. But the fact is, positive emotions open us up. You know, we're just more open. And mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time in our negativity bias, shutting things down and focusing yeah. and doing detail work that a little bit of levity can change things. So from the aspect of people... Burning out and just feeling like they 've got nothing left to give, which is fairly common in the shelter world. Um, what are your thoughts for how people can recognize the symptoms in their friends and coworkers you know that it, we so often don 't see it in ourselves, we see it in others. What are the things people should look for
1: yeah that's really important uh, so I think it starts with talking about that concept in general and educating the entire team about The sign first of all that this is a thing. (laughs) It's a thing. uh, And that it's a, a big risk in our field. Um, and that we all kind of share in the responsibility of helping each other and supporting each other and watching for that stuff. So in terms of specifics, I mean there are so many great resources and you know, webinars out there. ASPCA Pro has a lot of good compassion fatigue um materials, HSUS has some as well. Um we would watch for things like, you know, someone was um, just seeming a lot more withdrawn or, you know, just not engaging with their coworkers in the same way that we're used to seeing. We all have our, you know, penchant for junk food and stuff like that. But, you know, paying attention to your dietary choices. Are you fueling mm-hmm. your body or are you just, you know, eating your feelings? <laughs> yeah. You know, or are you... um trying to self-medicate maybe too much. Are you unable to sleep? Are you sleeping all the time? Or do you feel like you're completely exhausted even after a full night's sleep? I'm not a mental health professional, but you know, this kind of stuff is, it's really important to be watching for, you know, if somebody's gained a lot of weight or lost a lot of weight, if they're, you know, suddenly smoking three packs a day, (laughs) all of these signs that they're um, trying to fill a hole or meet a need right that's not being met by what originally you know was very fulfilling getting into this work caring for animals that's it's kind of a Mm -hmm. self-rewarding thing to do until it's not right and so those are some of the things that we would watch for in each other Um, just you know sometimes if someone's no longer able to talk about things in the way that maybe they were previously, mm-hmm. to me, that's a warning sign. Yeah. You know, if they're lashing out, if they're responding angrily, stuff like
0: that. Mm-hmm. So now you work at a brewery. I do. In what <laughs> ways is it similar to working at a shelter?
1: Well, humans are humans. It's interesting. Um, I think one of the strongest parallels is that people who work in craft beer are almost as passionate about craft beer as animal welfare people are about (laughs) animals. And so, (laughs) which, you know, isn't necessarily something I expected, but that level of passion and commitment is in some ways very similar. Um, And so some of the parallels are like, I know exactly how this should be done and my way is the right way. And, you know, so I think there's still conflict that arises between people. People are still really emotional. They're really dedicated to what they're doing. And, you know, there can be really long hours. The craft beer field is really, really competitive right now. It's changing a lot. So that's also similar to animal welfare in mm-hmm. that there's a lot of change happening. So it's really interesting. I didn't anticipate that it would be this similar in some ways. but
0: And when you say it, it's not that surprising. I mean, I, I did not anticipate it either. But it's not that surprising because we are driven to the things that we're passionate about. And when we're passionate about things, we get invested in them. And then there's that line where it goes from, I'm doing amazing stuff to too much, too much, too much. Um, and, And making some deliberate choices to find that line and see what we can do. The problem with all of this, of course, is that it's just all baby steps. There's no magic solution where we're like, oh, all you have to do is take more vitamin B6 and then life is great. It's exercise and eat right and pay attention to what you're doing. And when you're burned out or stressed out, you feel like, well, that's ridiculous. (laughs) So sometimes it comes down into choosing the fun. Choosing the good. So one of the questions I like to include in my interviews is usually about dogs because, of course, my bias is dogs. But I like exploring the idea of behavior from other perspectives. And I see you have this beautiful black cat. And I'm wondering (laughs) if you could tell us how your cat would describe you. What would your cat say about you? My cat, his name is Whisker
1: Mittensocks. He is... (laughs) Um, just about a year old, he is leukemia positive. We have litter mates. Um, he and his brother, we were fostering them and then we totally fell in love. And so we decided to make them a permanent part of our family. So he is hilarious. He is a total stinker. It had been 17 years since I had had kittens that were actually mine that I kept, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's reminding me all about what it's like to live with a young, yes, totally funky cat. Sometimes I joke that we must have 10 of him because he seems like he's everywhere. (laughs) all the time into everything. He would describe me as um, comfortable to sit on. (laughs) Um, Let's see. He would describe me as very patient and gentle. Um, He hates having his nails trimmed. And so I've had to really work through that with him. Um, Gosh, this is a great question. Other than basic things like giver of food. um, I think he would describe me as fun because I do, especially with with the two kittens, I try and institute a lot of creative play with them, Mm -hmm. um, new toys and simulating environments and stuff like that. Um, He would probably describe me as a crazy animal lady because um, we have... He and his brother, one other cat, and then two dogs and three chickens. And so it's kind of a, a
0: little farm here. Well, one of, one of the reasons I like to ask this question is because I really think that we show up as our best selves with our animals. And if we could kind of be that same person with our human relationships, it could be a good thing. So if people – and it sounds like people do describe you this way – but if people would describe you as patient and gentle and fun – that's the mother henna ward, isn't it? You know? So, so when we show up as ourselves and integrated into all of our areas of our life, we're happier and we do better work. So I think it's an interesting thought because so often we think, Oh, I'm fun and playful and joyful with my animals, but at work, Mm -hmm. I have to be serious. I have to get things done.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that to me, um, you've, Kind of sparked something in me. So in my role now, but also in my role at the Humane Society, I was very um, actively involved in hiring, and I feel like that's a really important thing because it starts with the people that you're choosing to be on mm-hmm. your team. And so anyone who's involved in a hiring role, or even you know, volunteer recruiting in animal welfare. I feel very strongly that it's important to bring people on board who already have a sense of resiliency, who already have a sense of fun, who are already able to engage in self-care. So I would often ask people questions about how do they manage stress? What do they do for fun? And it was always kind of a red flag for me when someone didn't have any hobbies or any interests mm-hmm. or you know didn't have a whole lot to say to answer that question because I feel like you have to be a balanced person, you've got to have more in your life to offset I agree. some of the hard parts about this work. So, you know, sometimes it was even things like, you know, tell me the last thing that made you laugh really hard. Because mm-hmm. um, I just want to get to know, is this a person who is able to embrace
0: good stuff? Yeah, um. I love those questions in an interview, because to the interviewee, they can seem off topic. But to you, uh-huh. as a person who's hiring, it tells you this person has the skills that we'll be able to access when we need them. And so in a period yeah. of tension, we at least know it's in there. <laughs> Whether we yeah. can easily get yeah. to it or not, we know that, that that it's in there.
1: Yeah, and it varies by the day and by what's going on. And yeah, sometimes as you said, like sometimes it's harder for us to access that part of ourselves mm-hmm. than other times. But I want to know what kind of foundation is there because you can teach someone how to give a physical exam. You can teach someone how to sanitize and feed properly and vaccinate and all that kind of stuff. But some of that stuff, it's much harder to teach. And so if you're able to bring people on board that already have embraced that on their own or are kind of more predetermined or predisposed to Mm-hmm. To care for themselves in that way, it just sets you up for a much stronger team, I feel.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed talking to you. So if people wanted to learn more about you and about Green Hill, what would what should we tell them? Yeah. So
1: um, connecting with me, probably LinkedIn, is the best way to find me. Um, and then... Green Hill is an amazing organization. They're actually poised to break ground on a very important renovation to the facilities right now so people can learn more about that. The website for the shelter is green-hill.org. So it's Greenhill with a hyphen in between the two words. Um, and that's the best way to connect with everyone who's a part of that.
0: Great, well, thank you so much for joining us today on Unleashed, it was fun talking to you. Thank you, it was really fun talking to you as well.